0: Today we will continue with Acts chapter 2, and I know I'm going back into the passage that we've read before over and over again, and but highlighting today verse 45, it's important to continue to look at the context of that particular passage in light of what was occurring there at Pentecost and the fruit of the Spirit for the church, so that we can see the interconnectivity of the... Actions of the early church to be connected to the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit. If you would stand now, please, as I read Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So that those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, bring those things before us now that you would open our eyes and hearts to this word, that we would respond, that we would understand the power of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is moving among us. Convict us where we turn away and where we are not in awe of his work and convict us where we are not responding in faithfulness to this very calling of your word, fill us with your Spirit, fill us with repentance and faith, and fill us with the fruit of your work. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd <laughs> be kind of mean to make you stand. Hold on. <clears throat> I may have um, put you on the wrong track if, you have, if you're one to take notes. I had actually combined uh, this particular sermon originally with the, with the previous and then also the following passage at different times. But I'm going to just focus on 45 today. Um, as I studied it and thought about it, I felt like in and of itself that it was a passage that, that we could focus on and dwell upon. And when we look at this particular passage, it's maybe difficult for us Um, As we went on our trip to Washington, whenever you go into a place where there is referencing and contemplation upon the history of mankind in any kind of way, and here this history not being tremendously long ago, just a couple hundred years ago or a hundred years ago even in some respects, uh, we get to see uh, the conditions of what people had in their physical monetary goods and their provisions. And we see a, a big contrast. We, we went to the house of Robert E. Lee in Arlington there, and we thought about the lives that were going on there and the, the slaves that were there and the, the work that had, be, had to be done. And talking to Jonathan yesterday, he, he went to Mount Vernon very recently, last week also, and just seeing the immense necessity to be able to upkeep um, such a plantation or a farm to just get things done. It just took tremendous amount of work, and here today we have so many um, things that we um, have that help us in those particular endeavors and work, and we don't have a contemplation really of how most of human beings have lived throughout the world, and so when we go to this particular passage, um, we try to see how we can apply it to ourselves, our possessions, are so different than the possessions that they had back then. And when we think about need, it's in a totally different context to the needs that they had of that particular day. We're so removed from it. We're so blessed and so immersed in possessions and good things. Even here, um, in a, such a small room, we have amplification, You know, to, be, to get the words just for a few feet. Um, and just the things that are behind the development of those um, people would be amazed that one that we would even need it but but we have a gym and what's this gym for and what's going on there's so many unique things that we have that to try to get our minds back to this and then to come back into modern day to see how it would be applied there's a challenge there for us there's a challenge for us to see what is a need, and what we think of as a need then and a need now. But before we get caught up in that, it is more important for us, as I mentioned prefacing going into this particular sermon, that we understand the economy of how God operates through his Holy Spirit in the church. That this is a component that is interwoven with God's people being devoted to his word, being devoted to the fellowship and the sharing and the participation in the life and discipleship of one another. It is a component of people praying and feasting and obeying the Lord and remembering him through their feast, and it is a component of recognizing God's all and how he is going to work. And continue to work how he has worked in the church. That he works through our possessions and our response to one another's needs. You know, for us men, we, we, for those of you who already have your Father's Day gifts, you know, we get all these trinkets and things. And I was talking to Josh and he was talking about how yesterday was a busy day or this weekend was a very busy weekend for, for people buying Father's Day gifts in the electronics department at Walmart. You know, just all these things that we have. It's difficult for us to understand sometimes how we can apply ourselves in that way. We can think about getting together and being in the Word. We can think about praying and feasting. But how today, how can we be faithful or more faithful in this particular example and admonition to us and example of God's work? in the fruit of people sharing their possessions. So I've got four things, and they're going to, I'm not going to be going through them chronologically today. So if, you, if you're trying to find out what the pace of the sermon is, it's going to be more interwoven. But I would, four things that we need to highlight through this passage and then the interrelated passages in the Scriptures that are a part of the reality that we must have as a foundation as we endeavor to be faithful to this calling of the church To bear forth these fruits through our possessions. One, the first thing is is that we need to remember that everything belongs to God. That's everything and every glorious component of everything that is in this world. That means the glory belongs to God. Solo gloria. He alone is to receive glory. Glory. In all of things. And that doesn't mean just our possessions of physical things, but also our possessions of spiritual gifts. Again, this is a working out of the Spirit's impact on the church. The things that are going on here with their things are participations of that work, but also representations of all of the gifts that God gives us, everything belongs to God, particularly the glory of things and gifts and abilities. Secondly, personal property and gifts belong to persons under that umbrella of all things belonging to God. Now, that can be difficult for us to understand, but That is something that is clear as we look at the examples in Scripture. If you want to look at it this way personal property is for persons or belongs to persons for a purpose to bring glory to God. But it is personal, it is a gift to individuals. We see how God gifts people even distinctly. We see it in the parable about the talents. We see it in the offices of different types of ministry. We see it in the gifts that people have in ministry, from being able to have discernment, to being able to preach, to being able to teach, to being able to have hospitality. All of these things, and often those things, require a physical possession of something, but they are personally given to us for a purpose that is for God's glory. So personal property, it belongs to people, to personal people, to individuals for a purpose. Third, God's people belongs to God. So again, another umbrella of understanding that as we think about who we are in those gifts that are given to us, everything that we have is for God. It belongs to him. We do not own anything apart from him and then lastly god's people belong to one another for his own glory we're interwoven if you look at that you'll see the summary of the law built into that to love god with all of your heart mind soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself you have this connectivity and it's wrapped up in our things so i want to first go back to a passage i mentioned last week and remembering that everything belongs to God and all gifts are from God. In James 1, verse 16, it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, whom with there is no variation or shadow due to change, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Still important for us to first read that first part to do not be deceived. Kind of fast forwarding to the end of what shall we do. One component as we look at this passage is for us not to be deceived when we contemplate our possessions. We'll talk a little bit more about deception and the intermixing of deception when we are. Handling our possessions. So to first have that admonition upon us because Satan will deceive us into thinking that all of our good gifts that we have, both spiritually and physically, in the intermixing of those things, he will deceive us in how we look at those things. Often he will deceive us in not making us be thankful, or not making us, but he encouraging us to be ungrateful. That is one of those things in light of what I was saying earlier. It is hard for us to have a, this humble gratitude for all the things that we have. Not just the physical things that you utilize this morning from air condition to transportation, but the things that you have among you in people the ministry that people have provided you, that God has provided you through the people in your lives. We must be thankful. Do not be deceived that those things are just happenstance, that those things are just automatically entitled to you because you think you're so great. We have a tremendous blessing from God in all of the good things coming down from the Father for his purposes of glory. But that we would be first fruits, that we get to be the first fruits of God's glory by being participants in those blessed gifts. But I want to go back and I feel like, you know, these sound nice and trite. You know, we know that, you know, God, thank you for our food. Thank you for our home. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my church. Thank you for our nation. Those are all good things. But we really need to understand it in the context of this particular passage of how powerful it is that God uses the gifts of the Holy Spirit in physical and spiritual things to fulfill what he has promised in and through his son and spirit. If you have your Bibles, I really encourage you to turn to Haggai chapter two, starting with verse one. I wanna look at the prophecy of the coming glory of God's temple and what it says and the component that's there and look at what it says about things in context to the promise of the coming glory. Now, we're on the other side of the introduction of that glory of Pentecost. But we're in the middle of the participation of this glory. So keep that in mind. In verse 1, it says, In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shilatel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in his former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jesedak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Through the declaration of God and the promise of the work of Jesus Christ, in the promise of the Holy Spirit, he is describing to them in prophecy of that great hope that the manifestation of that glory will go into the temple by the Holy Spirit and will be manifested by all nations coming to him and giving forth their things to bring glory to God. What we have in Acts 2 is the fulfillment of that particular promise. It is the Holy Spirit filling God's people who is now the temple of the Lord. And as that impact upon the people of God, the reaction of that is going to be nations of people coming to him and nations of people bringing their things. To the Lord, to the temple of the Lord, for the glory and the work of the kingdom of the Lord. The thing that you will see in distinguishing between what God instructs us here by example and representation and also by admonition is different than what is being taught in our public schools that is basically leading our country further into socialism and communism. For this point, furthermore, foremost, more than anything, whose glory is being sought by this idea of communalism, communal living, that is based upon a godless, an empty glory for God but a self-glory for the promotion of mankind. That you can see as being the first thing. That's not typically what we focus on. We normally look at, you see arguments about communism versus capitalism and America versus this or whatever, you typically hear, well, what works? Communism doesn't work, so therefore we need to do this. It's, it's, it works. Now that's not a bad argument and it's not an or incorrect argument, but it is not the foremost argument between what God teaches us in his word versus what is being taught in this world today that is very much alive and well in many nations and very much at work in our particular nation. The foremost problem with communism and modern day socialism and what we're seeing in any kind of form is that it is not for the purposes of glorifying the kingdom of God. And what people have done is taken these passages and they have been deceived and they deceive by trying to push and merge these particular passages in ways that promote something that is for the glory and the pursuit of mankind. Here, God promises us what is going to happen as. They were there and looking at the destruction of the temple, the loss and the glory of the temple. And they were thinking of the past and they were trying to understand God. God said it's going to be far better when I will fill the temple with the glory. And this is going to be a fruit of that activity is that the nations will be drawn and I will own all things for the purposes of my kingdom. This is a hope that we have. Now, the challenge would be for them as it is for us now, is that we get deceived, like James says, and how that is manifested. We like big things. I can't remember why the conversation was started up this morning with me and Jennifer. She was asking me if there was a time in my life when it was this one of the best times, and if I could go back to that time that I was most happy in my life. and. And I was overly analytical because I'm like, well, I, I wouldn't have known this and this wouldn't have been good. What I, would, you know, I, I couldn't find a particular time and she was getting irritated with me because I wasn't playing along with the conversation game the way that she wanted to play. But we thought of a particular time when we had a lot of hope and we had a lot of peace and when we had what we thought was a lot of fruitfulness amongst us in our community But unfortunately, I did continue to go further with the bursting of the bubble, I said. But wasn't it that we had this assumption that the things that were occurring in our life at that time was bringing us some kind of earthly glory? I think we interwove it with this eternal hope in God, and we thought that it was going to be. But in time, I started thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't match what God is telling us in our word with what it will look like to be Christians. Will it actually be like this right here and now? Will we have some utopia in our life here and now in light of what God says suffering will be like for the Christians? Will we have fruitfulness from this kind of hope and contentment? What will happen when we are faced with death and persecution and conflict and internal sin, would we be able to respond faithfully? What was going on in our mind then, in my opinion, was that we had this earthly hope for an earthly glory, and we were matching it to what we thought was God's kingdom. And I think we still do that today when we are looking for God's glory to be manifested among us in things. We have an idea of what it will look like, and it tends to not match God's word. And here we have the fulfillment, one of the most amazing fulfillments of God's promises being burst forth upon God's people. The Spirit filling his people, and we're seeing it. But when we think about it, though, these were small churches. They were growing fast. But they were small, and they were interconnected people. And one of the things that they had to encounter was the humility of need. Of hunger. Of absence of things. Look at this passage. It ends, that verse 45, it says, As any had need. How can we today properly interpret what is need when we're in such abundance? Well, we first have to think about how we are deceived so that we can understand what it means to need. We first have to be understanding that we are deceived what glory is going to look like. And We have to be willing to embrace the reality of our need. Today we do not want to look like we're needy. We don't want to share that. We don't want to share our needs with one another. We want our cars to be sparkly clean. (laughs) We want everything to look nice and perfect and that we've got it together. We don't want to come across as people who don't have the answers or don't have the things that we are absent and we need, that we have to actually beg out to God and then to seek. This is where it gets difficult. We like to get things when our prayers are answered, but we don't like to get them from the people that we are struggling with in the midst of sin and brokenness. See, God, what he's doing here is that he is providing forth the promises of his prophecy of the work of the Holy Spirit through sinners? Who would have thought that he would build his temple with people that are defiled? Who would have thought that he would grow his kingdom through people who have wickedness in their heart, that need cleansing? We must, as we seek to do what the previous passage says, to, as we look for the all of God we must not only look for the needs among us, but we must reveal our needs. Now, as we look at the reality of God's blessings and where we are today, those won't look always the same from generation to generation and from one technological age of abundance to the next, but we are still very much needy people. We must have the eyes of the Lord's Spirit to be able to contemplate how we have been deceived to seek a glory in something that may have looked like something from the past or may look like something of what we've shaped in the narrative of our own head, but are we looking right in front of us to see the needs of one another? Keep in mind that the whole of the law is still being manifested in this example and exhortation that we must first seek the glory of God and we must love our neighbor. Many of us have needs that can be met through just people reaching out to one another. Some people have experiences that God has gifted them with. Some people have insight and wisdom that God has given them with. Some people have a humble circumstance of need themselves that by going to someone else and sharing their need, they're able to lift and fill that other person's need by just opening up the door of expression of their need. That is ultimately what God is wanting to do. Because when we see his ultimate plan, it's not in physical things. He already says, I own everything. He owns it all. And just like that, he could fill up every need that you have. You'll never have a bank account need. You'll never have a physical need. You'll never hunger. He could do it just like that. But what's the purpose of our neediness today? It's to draw us to him and to draw us to one another. So why would we wanna pretend that we have everything filled up? We must be willing to express our own needs to be able to be in the right position to assist one another of their needs. We must remember our own need for Christ so that we can rightly approach each other And long for each other. To think that the driver of a shuttle bus may make the wrong turn after he lets us off. And even though he has family members that have spoken to him about Christ, to know that he will stand before the Lord absent of the grace of God should humble us. It should encourage us to seek out every single need of our brothers and sisters and every single need of those who are lost around us. How can we, if we are not those who are willing to recognize that everything that we have, every possession that God has granted us, that is for his services, if we are not willing to do that amongst one another, if we're not willing to discern the body together, how can we ever be in a position to discern those who are outside of us? Let us continue to look about how this glory is being manifested through us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 In verse 23, it says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things built up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's, in the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered to, in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I to denounce because of that of which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage but that of many, that they may be saved. Referencing there Psalm 24, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it in the rivers. Who is this king of glory as it ends? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. We have to encounter the reality that everything we have is for his glory. We've got to start there. We are constantly deceived, as we may even think rightly about how wrong communism is or socialism is. And say, this is my personal property. This is my personal and private property. No one can tell me what to do with my property. Well, we've got to keep that in the context that it already belongs to God for his glory. And we are his people and we belong to each other. So true, God has instilled us with individual gifts, but we are never to think that we are not to be held accountable to how we serve one another with our gifts. I mean, think about it. If we were in a situation where one person sitting over here, we know this person, if they could just receive an encouraging word, it would encourage them on maybe for hopefulness in Christ or maybe even guard them away from sin. And if you can give them that word, would you do it? Now, if we heard that someone was in need of a mill or someone was in need of help with a flat tire, we would tend to go that way. We need to look at all of those things to be interwoven and of the same. How are we holding ourselves accountable to the calling of what is going on in this word? To be used both in our humility but also in our giftings to bring glory to God. Typically, when we see in the church where people start arguing about, you know, you're telling me what to do with this or that, I have liberty, I have liberty of this and that, is that it's not because they're just wanting to promote the distinction of what God has given us in our word, it's typically because we like too much of the glory that we receive by our enjoyment of those things. And I'm going back and forth and talking about possessions or our time. We don't wanna take the time to have to put up with the weakness or the difficulty or the struggle that this person is going to. It doesn't match my pursuit of glory. So as we consider what shall we do in being those who are careful to not be deceived, we can look in Acts five, and I will actually go in depth on that later, where we see Ananias and Sapphira. But I just want to highlight here in the middle of when Ananias and Sapphira was making a public presentation, in assumption amongst others, that they were giving their all of what they were selling or in, in, in giving up, when they were actually holding back some for themselves. Listen to what Peter says in verse 3. It says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. Here in the context of this wondrous event amongst the early church where people were giving of their things, this one was seemingly a participant in the fellowship of the sharing, the koinonia of giving of their things, but they knew in their heart, and we have this blessed moment where Peter has this insight, and I don't have this insight into your heart, but by the, the, the unique and extraordinary circumstance that Peter had, he was able to see in Ananias' Sapphira's heart and say, you are lying, not just to us, but you're ultimately lying to the Holy Spirit. I am not able to go and point out names like, hey, you and that and this person, and if I started doing that, you need to ask me very firmly to sit down. But this is a grace to us to have this admonition and example in front of us. Are you being honest, not only in your heart, but are you being honest in the Lord that you are giving what God has given to you to serve others for his glory? Jesus told the cost of following after him in very monetary and in relational ways, in very extreme words for a point, because he, his words are to dig deep into our hearts, just like we have in the example of Peter. It is for the purposes of digging deep so that we could understand the purposes of all that we have. There's a lot that could be said about work and you know what god has given us in his word but the first thing is to understand one are we doing it for the glory of god but are we doing it as a follower of christ because we are hungry to have his glory manifested in us it says as they were going along in luke chapter 9 verse 57 it says as they were going along the road someone said to him i will follow you wherever you go and jesus said to him foxes have holes And birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one will put his hand to the plow, and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. The question is not just that if you are willing to bring glory to God. It's not just if you would be willing to do this so that you could serve and love your neighbor. But how much do you want Jesus? Jesus is telling them to follow him. Look at it this way. How much? Do you desire to have Jesus individually and corporately congregation of Jesus Christ? How much do you long to have Jesus? Do you want all of Jesus? Do you want everything that he has to give to his people? Or do you want just part of Jesus? See, that's what he's getting at. In these extreme circumstances, he doesn't want you to abandon loving your father. I mean, the whole, look at the prophecies, you know, the fathers and sons are supposed to have their hearts strong to each other. He's using extreme hyperbole for a point of how much do you want me in your life? How much do you need me in your life that you're willing to recognize that everything you have is already mine? but that you must be in a posture, and this is why we have this personal property, that you must be in a place that for the glory to be seen, you must give it all. When you come to this table, how much do you want Jesus? You can come and you can take of this table, and you say, I want Jesus, I want these particular things. Here are my list of things that I want about being a follower of Jesus. Jesus is saying, Give it all to me. That's the posture we have to have first. That's the mindset we must have first. Now, there's wisdom that comes. And as we're working together, we can begin to prioritize and understand. And we learn that in the scriptures as he's telling us that those who do not care for their own household are worse than an infidel. You know, that we have these gifts and and these things and these Abilities for the purposes of carrying out our covenant commitments to one another. But we must understand that it's all his. That any time we seek to hold back some of it for our own glory, it is so dangerous in that, that we have this gracious example on Ananias and Sapphira that they were killed. As a display, not to... So people would just, oh, you're here, take out my money and stuff like that. But to be an example to us that you don't want to hold back. Because you can't have any of Jesus unless you want all of Jesus. You don't want to be partly clean. Like, you only need to clean this part of my heart and this part of my heart. You've got to be like Peter who says, don't just wash my feet. Take it all, take everything that we have. For those of you who say you believe, if you want to follow him, you must leave everything. Are we willing to do that? He gave everything, he gave it all. He gave up the glory, he says here, that he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He gave his whole life for you so that you would be cleansed. There's no reason for us to want to hold on to something that's going to die. There's no reason for us to want to hold on to something that has no purposes but for death. When we give everything to him, he resurrects it unto new life and makes it anew. And he gets glory from it, and we benefit in that participation. He doesn't want us to hunger. He doesn't want to leave us empty. He wants to fill us with everything good from above. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for all the many things you have given us. Father, do not allow us to have hearts that are stingy that we would not compartmentalize what we think is yours and what is ours, what we think is our churches and what we think are our families and what is ours. Father, take it all from us because we want all of you. We want the fullness of your forgiveness, but we want the fullness of your life. I pray, Father, that you would grant this to us according to your promise that you would fill your temple. Take it all, Father, and give us all of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and think of all those things as we participate here in this following after Jesus in our tithes and our offerings. Let us praise his name.